Hello and welcome to another episode of the IT News Podcast. On the show this week, we have Westpac Group Chief Technology Officer David Walker talking about the bank's ongoing transformation agenda, its transformation roadmaps and guiding principles. David also talks us through Westpac's efforts to adopt an evolutionary architecture and evergreen technologies as a way to transform the back end and set foundations for faster changes on the front. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Do you want to just start by talking a little bit about your role as the CTO of Westpac and also your sort of remit and responsibilities just to kind of set the scene? Yeah, sure. So I joined Westpac about two years ago as the Group Chief Technology Officer. Prior to that, I was up in Singapore with DBS Bank doing a similar role there. In Westpac, my remit covers a broad view of all the technology across the bank, making sure that we're making the right decisions around where we're going, what technology choices we're making. And that ranges from architecture through to engineering choices and also strategic sourcing. So which partners we work with and those sorts of choices as well. Let's start on the transformation side of things. And one of the things you mentioned is you talk about fear-driven versus purpose-driven transformation. And so the way I read that is it looks like a choice between transforming due to a competitive threat, for example, versus transforming more proactively for a competitive advantage that you can see potentially coming to you if you take some sort of action. So I wondered if you just want to explain a little bit about your thinking in this space, first of all. Sure. So I think the idea of competitive threat or competitive advantage, they both exist at the same time. And I think the choice actually isn't about those two. It's more about how we focus our motivation within the company. Which one do we focus on more? Because they both exist. Obviously, with the competitive threat, there's a little bit more of an element of fear associated with that. It is a threat. And I think change people would call that a burning platform, creating something to motivate people to make that change. And that's versus more of a competitive advantage, which is about really trying to focus on being the best version of yourself. And while I think the creating fear, being focused on the threat can be very effective in the short term, it also is a very negative emotion and it's not something that will probably be sustainable. So we choose to be a bit more positive, I think. That's our focus. We're much more orientated towards that. And while we keep a very close eye on that competitive situation, really it's about the whole competitive advantage piece that we want to focus on. I feel like digital transformation has kind of been sold more on the former than the latter, although perhaps it's driving more towards the purpose side of things now. But previously, most slide decks were really geared towards the fear-driven transformation side of things, the, the fact that you want to move lest you become like certain legacy companies, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And I had those decks as well. I presented material in the past talking about the fear of the big tech companies or the fear of these other companies coming to take us over. And it's true, you can get caught up in that. And it is important to understand what they're doing. But one thing I recognize through my career in particular in recent years, you can look at those and say, well, they're frightening or actually they're the benchmark. They're the opportunity to focus on. And I think that still has the same element. You take the same information and you present it in a way that allows the people around you, the people in the company that work for you to really react positively about it. Yeah, it's interesting you use the word benchmark there, I think, in that context, because even among the big four banks, for example, you hear more now, well, it's less about a fear of the big tech companies, it's more about be the big tech companies, be as close as they can to some of the sort of internal practices and methodologies that the big tech companies use to maybe replicate some of those successes or growth opportunities, for example. 
Absolutely. You can learn from everywhere. And that's how we see it. These companies are doing some really good things and clever things. And it's not surprising that all companies need to look at them and say, how can we do better? And I truly believe we shouldn't be looking at the neighbour that's just a little bit better than us or not, because that's not a high enough benchmark. It's not good enough to be just as good as a peer or just slightly better than a peer. We actually have different types of benchmarks out there, as we said. And in many ways, it's not about we're a bank, so we can look at the other banks, but actually our customers are working in these other ecosystems. They're in the digital natives and they're spending time working with the tech giants and fintechs and looking at their solutions. And so that's really the standard. And we need to be as good, if not even improving on those. So just going back to the kind of split there between sort of fear and purpose-driven transformation, when you explain fear-driven transformation, I think you used the term burning platform. Would it be correct to say that Westpac has mostly addressed that side of the equation in terms of taking any sort of specific burning platforms and and transforming those already, which would mean most of your focus is on now the purpose-driven side of things? What I'd say to that is, as you and I'm sure your listeners know well, is that this idea of a done state that we're done in terms of transformation is never going to be the case. In fact, cycles of technology innovation are just moving at such a higher rate these days. We need to get better. So as I think about transformation and how we define that, it's all about getting us to a state of being built to change. And to be built to change, we need to have things like evolutionary architecture, evergreen technologies. And I think as we progress to this state, we get the organisation to a state where it's able to be nimble and responsive to our customers. And so that's, to me, the state of constant transformation that we're heading towards to meet those faster cycles. So for me, we're heading towards that, and that's the main objective. Mm. And that kind of built to change way of thinking, it wouldn't be transformation anymore, almost. It'd just become business as usual. Absolutely. And that is the state. So, you know, I constantly get asked, when are we going to be done? Like your question before, what does good look like? And to me, there is no line in the sand that says when you have all these technologies, you're there because we all know that those technologies that were great today will be legacy tomorrow. So we need to actually think about it's not about those technology state. It's actually about all this evolutionary capability, this evergreen state that we talked about, because once we're there, we can absolutely then evolve at the pace we want to. Mm. And maybe it's a good chance to talk just a little bit about those three areas you mentioned, so evergreen technologies, evolutionary architecture, responsiveness to customers. This starts to lean a little bit onto another area of your presentation, which was around the purposes that underpin transformation as well. But I wondered if maybe you want to talk a little bit to those three areas and how your thinking is at the moment and how far along you are in terms of creating that sort of next generation environment. So we think about, let's break them down. So first of all, evolutionary architecture. From my presentation, you've heard me talk about boulders to pebbles, and it's an important concept. I probably need to just take a little bit of journey through that. So when I started my software engineering career, which is now three decades ago plus, We and my colleagues built software, we coded modules, they were all interoperable, they sat together, they worked in harmony together. But somewhere in that journey, maybe through the 90s and so forth, as an industry, we started to see the commercial packages arrive. They turned up with their big software packages and it made sense, there was outcomes there. And so we started to build less and buy more as an industry. And organizations, as a result of that, started to lose these skills, these engineering software skills. And over time, these software packages that seemed to be the great outcomes 
they really became monolithic systems, these big things. And we all know now that monolithic systems, they're hard to change, they're expensive to run, difficult to swap out, complex to make changes in them. When they fail, they fail ungracefully. It's all in, all out quite often. And they just don't scale well. So there's a whole host of things that the big things don't work very well. And so we think that replacing our boulders with pebbles is the way to go. And we look at that and that gives us this idea of evolutionary. For the small things, we can refactor them quickly and move them along very quickly. Evergreen is much more about the technology components themselves. We need to bring in technology that is self-stabilizing, self-sustaining. And this idea of running big technology platforms down to the ground and then having to spend lots of money upgrading them, patching them and things like that. We're now in a situation where we've got modern technologies that we can buy through the cloud providers. We can bring them in ourselves and we can keep these as evergreen things that support themselves and run themselves and we can apply patches universally across them and so forth. And so keeping the estate of technology alive and evergreen is really critical today. And do you want to talk a little bit about the purposes of transformation and sort of how those are reflected within the transformation efforts of Westpac? I had a question, to what extent those purposes are reflected in, say, the business cases for different aspects of the transformation? So would you have to show that a business case meets some of those higher level purposes to get a project across the line or to show that it was successful once it's embedded? How does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So at Westpec, we are all aligned behind the strategy of fix, simplify and perform. That's a bank-wide thing. And obviously, technology supports all three of those very clearly. And as we think about how do we, as technology, you know, transform ourselves, we need to think about how we work differently. And so at Westpec, there's a number of things that are changing as we transform. It's not just those things we've talked about just before. Things like we're moving towards persistent teams We've got clear transformation roadmaps that lay the path forward for us. And all these activities that the persistent teams do are linked to these roadmaps. And so coming back to your question, one of those mechanisms that we put in place is that we do a quarterly business reviews. And this is where we take the work that these persistent teams are doing and we check are they on the transformation roadmap. And so therefore that's linking us all back and making sure that the approval to do work is in place and so forth. And you can probably tell by the language this is different from the traditional way of big business cases and big components. You know, it's all about persistent teams, providing them a consistent way of working and all the mechanisms in place like constant reviewing and so forth. At the moment, in terms of the structure of Westpac and particularly the way that technology resources are allocated, is everyone now situated in persistent teams in, in that persistent structure? I would say that we're well progressed on that. We started the journey over a year ago with parts of our business and we're rolling that out throughout the whole of our business. We have a thing called lines of business and these are consumer space. We've got structures around our institutional space. The environment that I work in is certainly the coup environment. We're starting to move towards that as well. So I wouldn't say we're completely done, but we're on that journey. And I think the thing with any transformation is you don't want to go big bang. You've got to learn these things. These aren't things that you can just read a book overnight and all of a sudden become good at. Every organization has to learn them. And companies that I've studied that have gone that big approach and tried to go too fast quite often make it much harder for themselves. So I think we're going at the right pace. We're going into the right areas and certainly making sure that people come on the journey with us. 
One of the other questions I had was at the full year results last year, Westpac mentioned it had developed a detailed technology roadmap for the next phase of transformation. So obviously this is building on the sort of past five years where you did this whole infrastructure transformation, replaced the core, did a whole lot of work there. I just wondered if you could give us a little bit of a sense of what this next transformation phase looks like for Westpac and what that kind of roadmap might roughly consist of in terms of maybe the key pillars, for example. Sure. So first of all, just a little bit of context for your listeners and yourself. Mm. So not long after I arrived at Westpac, so about 18 months ago now, we sat down and we started to develop these roadmaps across the bank. And so we're developing these roadmaps, which will give us that journey and plan us the next number of years ahead. And that's really about helping us guide the technology choices across that organization. The roadmaps themselves are sequencing that transformation. So they are living artifacts that help us understand what comes next in what order. And so there's a lot of thought that goes into them because an organization like a bank, there are so many moving parts. How we sequence it is really critical and so many elements go into that choice that we have to make there. And so part of that transformation, as I said, is all about the ways that we work, underpinning the right talent, ensuring that we've got the right skills on board. And so what comes next is alignment to those things that I talked about before, getting us more towards evolutionary architecture, getting us more towards evergreen, ensuring that we're linked to the customer outcomes, uh, driving that purpose of helping Australians and New Zealanders succeed. And that to me is about how do we take the components across the bank and the ones that matter, evolve them along that journey. Maybe just to go back to the architecture side of things, and we obviously talked a little bit earlier about the boulders to pebbles analogy, and particularly I'm interested in the component reuse. Now, I know you've mentioned a multiplier of reuse in the presentation, which I'll get you to talk about, but I'd also be interested in just understanding a little bit about reuse at Westpac and sort of the extent to which it's happened in the past and the change being driven in that space. Reuse is an important factor and it has been talked about a lot in technology and organisations for many, many years. We break things down in components and that's where the boulders to pebble story comes from. And so we have a number of things that we're doing on that front, like our APIs, our microservices, our micro front ends. And these are all about how we can get that reuse. So, for instance, we get roughly about three times uh, reuse of our microservices. And that's reasonably good. That's not a bad measure. And some are in the multiple and some are a bit less. But an average of three is a pretty good outcome. Our micro front ends are the next thing. These are things that build little journeys like check my balance or make a payment or log in. And we're building these so that they can actually run not only across multiple different customer apps, but also employee apps. And we've already got three or four of these built and continuing to build out more of these. And we can see the reuse really, really coming along with those. But one of the things that I think is really important is when you get to this state of being evolutionary and evergreen, there's a bit of magic that happens. You end up with this ability to refactor at much higher speed. And when you can do that, when you can refactor things, reuse becomes less a critical thing. And so it becomes dawned on the organization is when you get good at these evolutionary and evergreen type technologies and techniques, actually it's less important to be able to reuse and refactoring becomes so easy and so much quicker and becomes maybe just a little bit less critical than it was before. And at the moment, how do developers in different parts of the organization or different persistent teams, for example, learn about microservices that have been developed elsewhere that might be available to them as a component to reuse? 
That's one thing that we are world-class on. We've got an environment which is at the heart of all our development, and that one environment is really well set up for discovery and understanding. So all our developers work in that environment that are building software that's new. Obviously, we buy packages and software packages, and so they sit outside. But anything that we're building and operating on, and that represents about 60% of our development force all work in this environment, all work in the same set of catalogs and environments. And this is where you'll find all our DevOps tools, automation tools around automated testing, et cetera. And so it is a really powerful environment. That's where you can discover APIs. It's where you can discover the microservices and the functions and so forth. Just a couple more questions. One question I wanted to find out was around sort of key challenges that you're facing at the moment. Do you want to just give us a sense of what your key challenges or key challenges are? Obviously, banks are built on technology. All our products and services are pretty much ones and zeros, providing those capabilities out to our customers. So therefore, we need great technology. This is the heart of what a bank needs to operate on. And to have great technology, we need great software engineers. There's no doubt about that. And I think as we look at the need for these talented people that really understand how to build evolutionary, how to build evergreen, we need to attract them. But not only do we want these best engineers, we also need them to be diverse. We want, for instance, women in technology is a real focus for us. So we're creating these environments to attract these engineers in. But the challenge, and it's a global one, is that there's just a shortage of these skills. I mentioned earlier that we've lost the skills in countries like Australia and others where people use these big software packages. So this is the thing that was facing us the most is how do we get enough people of the right skill level to achieve these outcomes? Mm-hmm. And just a final question, what excites you about the year ahead? What are you really looking forward to? First thing I guess I'd say is Westpac is a really wonderful bank. It's full of smart, passionate people that are helpful. And so for me, what truly excites me is really working on them with some of the most interesting technology challenges of our age. We've got to think about what our customers need, not just now, but well into the future. And so we're on this journey of really building this future-ready bank, and that's very meaningful work. It's exciting to the people that I work with, and it's very exciting to me. That was David Walker from Westpac. And that's the podcast for this week. We'll be back with an exciting new interview next week. Until then, you can catch all the latest headlines in Australian IT over at itnews.com.au.